Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsoring partner, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. I'm so excited that CBME has now partnered with Fund to Foundation in support of their Intern X program. If you're not familiar, Intern X is an ambitious new initiative that's looking to match 10,000 skilled young adults nationwide with quality internship opportunities by the year 2020. So here's what's up. We need your help. We need you to share the word about this awesome new internship opportunity for young adults. If you're interested in learning more, you want to register, I want you to go over to bit.ly slash CBMA Intern X. Again, that's bit.ly slash CBMA Intern X. I want you to go ahead and click on the link there to register and be sure to type or select the Campaign for Black Male Achievement as the affiliate organization that referred you. Let's go ahead and get our young folk registered today so they can begin to gain access to the benefits of this awesome program. You're listening to the trailblazers.fm podcast, where we'll explore the stories of today's successful black professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders. Join us to access the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished professionals and come away with the know-how, confidence, and motivation you'll need to blaze your trail. And now here's your host, Stephen A. Hart. Hey, Blazing Nation, what's up? Welcome to episode 170 of the Trailblazers.fm podcast. Our feature Trailblazer for today is Gloria Mitchell. Gloria's story is so incredibly powerful, and you guys are in for a word today. <laughs> Gloria actually went from, this is an amazing story, she went from being homeless to coaching multimillionaires. And along her journey, she overcame so much. She had a difficult upbringing an illness that left her short-term memory in the bottom one percentile. She battled homelessness, as I mentioned, once even having to resort to sleeping in a Walmart dressing room. For many of us, this is where the story would have ended. But for Gloria, this is a woman that goes on to obtain an MBA from Stanford University and is now highly sought after as a coach for personal crisis and performance. She's out there helping high-level entrepreneurs and public figures to perform at their highest level and deal with the pressures that come or we, you know, when we're at the top. This is a woman that spent over 15 years studying human resiliency, and you're just in for a treat. I know you're going to enjoy today's episode. Please do me a favor and share it up with your family, your friends, and your colleagues, and someone you think that might be impacted by this particular episode here. Today, before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to Apple ID MadFaith106. They left me a review and rating over on Apple Podcasts. Big ups for the five star rating. The review actually read first time listening to your podcast. I've subscribed and look forward to following, sharing, and supporting. I thoroughly enjoyed the T. Dallas Smith podcast. Listen up, MadFaith106. Big ups. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for subscribing, for sharing. And most definitely for listening. Listen up, Blazing Nation. I want to be, you know, I tell you guys all the time, I want to be doing shout outs every single episode, bigging up our Blazing Nation community. So be sure, if you've not yet done so, rate, review, and subscribe to trailblazers.fm over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For those of you who are listening at home or at work, maybe you prefer the web experience and being able to listen to an episode online versus an app. If so, 
definitely check out our website. You can access that directly via tbpod.com. tbpod.com. We updated the site a couple months ago, and it's now got an ability for you to filter content by category. So if you're looking specifically, for example, for leadership content, you can do so, or let's say entrepreneurship content, you can do so as well. So hop on over to tbpod.com and check that out. That's it. Let's get set to dive in and receive today's mission feel from our featured trailblazer, Gloria Mitchell. Enjoy. Gloria, welcome to trailblazers.fm. It's great to be here. I am so excited to talk with you today. But we start every conversation off from a place of gratitude, as you know. So I want to pick your brain about an unexpected blessing that you're grateful for right now. An unexpected blessing would actually be having this conversation. You know, <laughs> really, I was thinking about this yesterday. I think so often we forget that 20 or 30 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to connect. Yes. We wouldn't have been able to have this conversation. So I'm just grateful for the conversation and look forward to, you know, what's coming up. That's so interesting you said that because we got connected through Amanda, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that it's amazing how technology has connected us and provided us these kind of mediums to be able to come together around a common thread. And it's amazing, especially being podcasters, how we're able to connect with people in different countries and different occupations and industries. And it's just amazing. It's a great point. Let me ask you, as I was reading a little bit about you, I couldn't pinpoint exactly where you're from. I'm originally from Texas. I remember being in college and helping a buddy of mine move. He's in the Marine Corps and moved from Florida to California. We drove him cross country. Yes. And Texas was like a 24-hour drive. <laughs> Never realized how big the state really was. It's amazing. Yes, it's very big and flat. Yes. <laughs> Laura, what was what was your childhood like growing up in Texas? Actually, my childhood was very, very challenging to say the least. Unfortunately, I grew up in a very abusive home, uh, emotionally and physically, and that's really how I began the homeless journey. If you want, we can get into that right now. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I have read that, that you were homeless several times. And if you don't mind sharing, I'd love you to share how you became homeless. Sure, no problem. I was adopted by a woman who was very physically abusive. And one night after I had graduated high school, she almost killed me. Uh, She got upset at something I had said. And she cornered me in my bed. And as I was in the fetal position trying to protect myself, I saw her reach over and grab a plastic cup, you know, and raise it over her head to hit me with it. And then she realized that it was too light to do any damage and she put it down. But then she grabbed a glass orange juice bottle right next to it and she raised it to hit me with it. And Stephen, I really thought I was going to die. Like I, I thought there's no way given how much she pounds on me, because she would pound on me until she was exhausted. Mm. So I thought if she starts on me with this glass orange juice bottle, there's no way I'm not going to die. She, she's you know, going to hit a main artery. And so as I was trying to come to terms with my, what I thought was my immediate death, I felt God like I'd never felt him before. Mm. And 
I heard him say, leave. And it's not that I hadn't thought about leaving before, but my family was paying for college. And somehow I had got it in my little head that if I could just make it through the four years of college, you know, I would be okay. But at that moment, it became very clear that if I stayed, I was going to die. And so I said, God, you know, if she doesn't hit me with this bottle, I will leave. I don't have a car. I don't have a job. I only have $20 to my name, but I will leave. And she stood over me for what seemed like forever. It was probably only about 30 or 60 seconds. And then she just quietly placed the glass bottle on the nightstand and she walked out of the room without saying a word. And shortly after that, I left. And so that kind of started the homeless journey. And, you know, thank God you did not see homelessness through however many iterations of that experience as a final destination, because your story is amazing to me that you went from homelessness to getting an MBA from Stanford. (laughs) And there's, I'm sure there's a big dash there. Yes. Talk to me about it. (laughs) Well, after I left the home, I ended up literally cleaning toilets and scrubbing floors in someone's home for room and board. And it was very humbling because I remember mopping the lady's floors and her informing me that she didn't want me to mop her floors. She wanted me to be on my hands and knees scrubbing her floors. And so I had to put my pride aside, you know, and do what I needed to do. But shortly after that, by word of mouth, I got a part-time gig in the evening helping with the get out the vote effort for political candidates. And that's where you go door to door and encourage people to get out and vote for the candidate that you're supporting. Well, one of the candidates I was canvassing for was reelected and had an opening become available as a legislative aide in his office. Now, I had no experience in politics, Stephen, (laughs) none, but I was hungry, number one. I was a good writer and I was a quick learner. And I felt if I could just learn as much as I could about him, and about his district and where he was on the issues, I would hopefully impress him enough that he would give me a chance. And that's what happened. I went in and I nailed that interview and I got that job. And that got me at least away from, you know, scrubbing floors for a living. And I worked there for about two years and everything was going great. But then I was offered a job with another individual making more money. And I thought, oh, this is fabulous. This is going to be great. And so I accepted that job, resigned from my current job. And there's a point to this story. Resigned Mm -hmm. from my current job, purchased a car, and then had that new job offer rescinded. Okay. Now I want you to see where I am. I didn't have the new job because it had been rescinded. I didn't have the old job because I had resigned. And I couldn't get unemployment because I had resigned. And I had a new car. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really a blow to say the least, because I didn't, you know, when you don't have family, there's no safety net. There is absolutely no safety net. And so that situation led to a long bout of homelessness for several months because 
I remember I had one last check coming and I had a choice. I could use the majority of that check to pay rent or I could use that money to pay for multiple car payments for several months until I found a job. And I knew I needed the car to have any real chance of finding another job, you see. Because you're in Texas still, right? No, I'm sorry. I'm in New Jersey at this point. You're in Jersey. Yes, I'm in New Jersey at this point. So I knew that I needed the car, you know, because this was before the internet. I'm about to tell my age. I'm almost 50 years old. So this is before the internet. Okay. So looking for a job was a lot different than it is now. But anyway, so I knew that I needed the car to find a job. And so I made a choice at that moment to become homeless because I knew that if I pay the rent, it would only be for one month. And then I stood the potential of losing the car mm-hmm. and that was going to limit my options. And to say, you know, I don't want to talk about it like it was easy because it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I would have to find places where cars were parked at night. Like I would park at hotels or at apartment complexes and I would try to cover the windows so people wouldn't notice that I was in there. And I'll be honest, Stephen, I've never been so happy to be 5'2 in my entire life <laughs> so, because that was the only way I could squeeze, you know, in the back of my car. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely a challenging time. And I hustled really hard. I really did. And eventually I got an interview with a company, but there was one problem. They wanted someone with experience in a software program called Lotus 123. Yes. And I didn't have any experience in the program. But I remembered that when I had the job that I had resigned from. You didn't have the experience then either. No. But I remembered that when I had that job, I would walk two miles to work and two miles home. And every day I would pass a small computer training school. Wow. Look at God. Yes, 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 exactly. Exactly. And so I'll never forget this day. I went to the school. I asked to speak to the owner and I looked her dead in her face. And I said, hi, I'm Gloria Mitchell. I'm homeless. I'm sleeping in my car. I have an interview in three days. I really need to know Lotus 123. Can you teach me everything you can? about Lotus 123 in two hours, and I'll pay you as much as I can. I don't know if she said yes, because she was just surprised that I had that much chutzpah to say that, Mm -hmm. or or if she just had pity on me. (laughs) But she said yes, and that evening she worked with me for two hours. She taught me as much as she could, and I went into the interview, nailed the interview, nailed the testing, and got the job. Wow. Yes. Now, what's interesting, and now this is God, I really want your listeners to to understand what happened. What's interesting is not only did I get a 30% increase from my previous salary, okay, but one of the company's benefits was them paying for their employees to go back to school at night. Wow. Now, remember, that was what I gave up when I left my abusive home. Right. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that God yes. working? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So because I was willing to have faith and humble myself, God did some amazing things. He really did, really did. And you share that. I mean, it's, as you said, there's so much valley in that middle between yes. you leaving that home where you thought, you know, you wouldn't finish school, being able to get to this point where you were able to. 
Yes, yes, yes. And then when I say they paid for school, they paid for school, books, parking, everything. All I had to do was show up. Yes. And it it was such a blessing, such a blessing, such a blessing. Amazing. That is amazing. So this was still undergrad. Yes, it was still undergrad. Now, as for how I ended up at Stanford, shortly after I got the job, I was actually still homeless for a while because it was one of those jobs where you got paid once a month mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the months, and the months can be very long. And it took me a while to save up, you know, first month's rent, one month mm-hmm. security and all of that. But one weekend I was passing time and I was in a Barnes and Noble and I ran across a book about the top MBA programs. And I read about Stanford's business school and it sounded perfect for me. I mean, anyone who knows me knows I am a proud nerd. So I scribbled down the address. (laughs) I am, I am. So I scribbled down the address on a sheet of paper and requested they send me an application and I had it sent to my PO box at the time because of course I didn't have a home. And I got the application, took a look at it and wrote this very, very detailed five-year plan for how I was going to get from where I was, which was working full-time, going to school at night and sleeping in my car, to Stanford. And when I say very detailed, it was like by year, then the immediate year was by month, and the immediate month was by week, and the immediate week was by day. Like it was like, yeah, it was very, it was very, yes. Now it took me seven years instead of five years because I had a bout with Lyme disease, but I did work that plan. And when it came time to officially apply to Stanford and I sent away for an application, this is God, I want you to hear what happened. The application was exactly as it had been seven years before. I had mapped my plan perfectly. Wow. Yes. Wow. Perfectly. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this application is exactly as it was seven years before. I mapped this perfectly. So I was not, people often ask if I was surprised that I got in. And I'm like, no. And it's not out of arrogance. It's just that I had left very little to chance. Very little. I love talking about vision, <laughs> documenting your mission and vision and goals. And you just lay that bad boy out <laughs> <laughs> and working a plan to success. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, exactly. I wish that the story was just a fairy tale ending at that point, right? Mm-hmm. You get into Stanford and, you know, I also experienced an illness in college that disabled me. I had to withdraw from a semester. I had an autoimmune Illness oh my goodness. That pretty much shut me down for, I had to withdraw from school for a semester, but it really kind of took a good year out wow. of, you know, me having to retune wow. uh, and get back in. But so I, I read this part of your story and, and felt a connection, but this is so intense. I mean, you had an illness that left your short-term memory in the bottom 1% of the population. Yes, that is, that is so true. And it, it's so funny because when the doctor said that my short-term memory was in the bottom percentile. I kept interrupting him and I kept saying, what percentile? And he was bottom percentile. And I'm like, but there's a number before that. And he's like, no, you're in the bottom one percentile. And I was like, oh my, you know, this is, this is, this is really bad. But what happened was during my first week at Stanford, I noticed that I would study, but then wake up and have no memory of what I'd studied. Absolutely no memory. And at first I thought it was my nerves, but then it kept happening. And what doctors discovered was that my battle with Lyme disease had left me, you know, Mm -hmm. with a short-term memory in the bottom one percentile. 
And I had to go through, I think, about 40 hours of cognitive testing and work with doctors and specialists to figure out how we could restart my short-term memory. And let me just say, which I'm pretty sure it's obvious, Stanford is not the place that you want this to happen. This is exactly (laughs) what I'm thinking. I'm like, are you still in school at this point in time? (laughs) Yes, I'm still in school. Uh, Stanford was really, really kind in that they reduced my course load. I think I was supposed to be taking like five courses, but I was taking like two because there was no way I could do all the testing and go through everything. I was only taking two. And they were very supportive, very, very supportive. But, you know, studying at Stanford is like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. I mean, it's, it's right. pretty intense. So it was a really taxing experience for me. But I learned two very important lessons during that time. Number one, I learned to release myself from the results of my actions. And what I mean by that is this. At one point, I was worrying myself to death. Mm-hmm. worrying if I would be able to stay at Stanford, worrying would I be able to support myself, worrying if I would even be able to work at McDonald's because I said I wouldn't remember the order. You know, <laughs> they would say what they wanted and I would have no memory of it. Right. And I remember being in my kitchen and I just stopped myself and I said, Gloria, you are only in control of you. You're only in control of going to the appointments. You're only in control of doing the exercises, taking the meds, doing the work. You are not in control of what happens after that. So do all that is within your control, Mm -hmm. but release what is not in your control. Mm -hmm. You know, Stephen, worrying is human. You know, it means you care about something. But worry is wasteful because worry takes energy, but gives you nothing in return. Absolutely nothing. So when you worry, you are throwing energy away. You know, if you cry, you might have a physical release and that does help you, but worrying serves no purpose. So at that moment, when I told myself that I was only in control of what I did and not what happened after that, I learned to redirect the energy I was giving to worry to helping myself. And so I always suggest to people that if you find yourself worrying, do your best to stop yourself. And recognize what you're doing and do your best to redirect that energy toward something that can help you, you know, Mm -hmm. and that could be something that brings you closer to solving the problem you're worried about. But it could also be something like working out or working on something else that will enrich your life, but do something productive with that energy and do your best, you know, not to worry. Boy, Gloria, I have to stop you right there. There are two of my favorite Bible verses that you speak to. As I'm listening to your talk, I'm thinking of Philippians 4, 6 that says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Yes. But if you are not like God just speaking through Jeremiah 29, 11, <laughs> right? Right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've gone through a pretty dark valley that Blaze Nation has heard me share many times. But, you know, as you talk about these valleys that you've experienced and had to overcome. And for those that have never read Jeremiah 29, you know, it tells you that God says, I know the plans I have for you. Right. Your plans for good and not for disaster and to give you a hope and a future. Right. Right. No, 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 you're right. You're right. And that is so funny because if I may, I do want to share the second thing that I learned from having the short-term memory challenge. Please. The second thing I learned, and this, 
I know you can relate. I know now that you've shared some of your story with me, you can relate to this. I learned from battling the 1% short-term memory problem that you do yourself a disservice when you make assumptions mm-hmm. about who you can learn from. And I want to share this story with your listeners. At one point when I was going through my battle, a woman who was working with me to help me suggested I speak with another student at Stanford named Michael. And when I asked why, she said, well, you just need to meet him. And I remember snapping back really quickly, (laughs) you know, listen, I'm just trying to stay here, just trying to see if I can stay here. I really don't have time for socializing. And she said, you know, just trust me. So I emailed this Michael and set up a time for us to meet. And when I walked into the student area to meet him, I quickly realized that he was blind because he had a walking stick. And I remember thinking, God, I'm sorry he is blind, but he can't relate to what I'm dealing with. You know, I came to Stanford with what I thought was one brain, and now I feel like my brain has betrayed me. And I'm just trying to figure out if I can stay here. I really don't have time for this. But I went over and walked over and introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and then he told me his story. You see, Stephen, he came to Stanford as a freshman with 20-20 vision. No way. And went blind his first semester. Oh, my God. Yes. And he shared with me his story, how he dealt with the shock, how he was able to come to terms with it, and how he was not only able to come back to Stanford, you know, after learning to live in the world as a blind person, but by the time I spoke with him, He had not only gotten his bachelor's, but was working on his master's. Wow. Now imagine here I was making all these assumptions. Mm -hmm. You know, God was trying to bless me, direct me to this person to say, hey, you can go on the, you can come out on the other side. But I was all like, why am I meeting him? I don't have time for this. (laughs) You know? That's it. That's that hope. (laughs) That's that hope right there, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's the hope right there. Oh my gosh, what a story. Yes, and you know, here I was making all these assumptions and he knew exactly what it was like to come to Stanford only to feel like your body had betrayed you. He knew exactly. And and I I don't know where he is now, but I feel so blessed, you know, Mm -hmm. that God allowed me to meet him. Absolutely. Exactly. So although the battle with the 1% short-term memory problem was very difficult, I wouldn't go back and change it because of the wisdom the wisdom that I gained, you know, from the experience. So just like Michael was able to pour into you, let's talk about just this element, the mental, right? There's a lot of mental game that you've had to navigate your way through, right? You had, to, as we're talking, you had to overcome this abusive woman that adopted you. You had to overcome homelessness multiple times. You had to overcome job loss and this illness. Let's talk about you know, and, and don't forget, don't forget the time I had to sleep in a Walmart dressing room. But we can't forget that, girl. <laughs> wow. oh, Lord, the Lord has been kind. He has been kind. <laughs> so share with Blaze Nation for a bit, maybe some strategies or techniques that we can employ to help our mental game, right? To help us stay positive when you're in that darkest of valleys. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I spent a lot of time studying other people. And then I've also spent a lot of time going back and thinking about, you know, what really helped me. And one of the things that really helped me was that no matter what I was going through, whether it was the homelessness or whether it was the short-term memory challenge, I always had one foot in the present 
working on the problem, okay? But that other foot was always in the future, okay? Uh-huh. Yeah, let me give you an example. You know, when I got that job that was paying for me to go to school, at the beginning, you know, I was still homeless. Now, I could have said in my mind, I could have said, you know what, Gloria, they're going to pay for you to go to school, but why don't you wait until you're no longer homeless before you start school? I could have done that, but I didn't because I knew I needed to have one foot in the future. So even though it meant I was working full time, going to school at night and sleeping in my car, I needed to have one foot in the future. Wow. Yeah. The other thing that I did, and this is, this is showing my stubbornness, but I, I've come to believe that many successful people do this, is that I refused, no matter what was going on, I refused to see my present as my permanent. Come on now. Say that one more time. <laughs> I refused to see my present as my permanent. Yes. Yeah. See, this is where the road yes. part. You know, this is where the road parts, because you can take two people who live in a disadvantaged area. We'll even put them in the same home. So they live in a disadvantaged area and they both live in a dysfunctional family, the same family. One person, one of them can look out and say, I live in this impoverished area. I live in this dysfunctional family. This is my lot in life. You could take the other person who grew up in the same family look out and say, yes, I live in an impoverished area. Yes, I am currently in a dysfunctional family, but this will not be my future. You see, but it's a choice. It's a mental choice. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. hundred percent. Exactly. So, you know, when I was sleeping in the Walmart dressing room, I remember saying over and over to myself, this is but a chapter in my life. This is not the whole book, you know? And anytime you see someone who goes from extremes, whether it's me going from being homeless to coaching multimillionaires, or you talk about Oprah going from poverty to being a billionaire, there is usually a moment where they refuse to see their present as their permanent. Mm -hmm. You see, Oprah's told this story, if I may share it with your listeners. She has told this story where I believe her grandmother was working as a housekeeper, and I believe she was washing her employer's clothes by hand. And she told Oprah that she needed to watch her because that was going to be Oprah's future. Hmm. And Oprah said at that time, she said in her mind, this may be my present, but no, that's not going to be my future. Even as a child, she claimed that. She said, no, that's not going to happen. You know, and that is why, going back to what I said right before, that is why it's so important to have one foot in the present and the other one in the future, because if you have both feet in the present and your present is dark, your brain will start to believe that that is all there is and your present will become your permanent and you don't want that. So it's so important to have one foot in the present and one foot in the future. And I don't care if that future foot is just in the library reading some books, but you need to have one foot in the future when you're going through a challenging time. Wow. Gloria, you blessed me with that one, girl. (laughs) That one one is definitely what I needed to hear this morning. Yes, yes. Talk to me a little bit about what's driving you in the work that you're doing today. Tell us about what you do and and what's driving you. Well, currently I am a crisis and performance coach. And Mm -hmm. I have spent over 15 years 
studying human resiliency and why some people are able to bounce back from a crisis and some people aren't. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, through everything you've come through, right? <laughs> yes. Um, that's a perfect title and a fitting line of work for you. Talk a little bit about Oprah. What differentiates people who bounce back from a crisis versus those people who don't? Yes, yes. There are several things. There are several things. But there are three things that I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Number one is they make a conscious decision to fight back. It's not something that they just kind of start working on. There's usually a moment where they decide, you know what, I'm not going to live this way anymore, or this is not going to be all of my story. And they start to fight back, but they make a conscious decision to fight back. And the reason that's important is because when you make a conscious decision to fight back, you start going from victim to survivor. Mm -hmm. And that is so important when you're trying to bounce back. Another thing is that they take responsibility for getting themselves out of that place, wherever they are. You know, they may not have been responsible for what happened to them but they understand that they are responsible for getting themselves out of that mess. They don't wait for someone to rescue them. Uh, They believe that they are in control of their future. And the third thing that I want to highlight is that, and this is a big one, it's hard for us humans to do, but they take action without pride. You know, ego can be one of the greatest inhibitors. And the people who bounce back from a crisis the best, don't take action based on ego, meaning they do what needs to be done without letting their pride get in the way. So that would be like me scrubbing the woman's floors or me humbling myself enough to go to the computer school and let some perfect stranger know that I'm homeless because I need their help. You know, people think pride will help them get to the top and it will. Okay. But if you're not careful, your pride, your worry about how things might be perceived or what people might think might also keep you at the bottom as well. Yeah, exactly. I listened to you, Gloria, and I feel like you've spoken so much to my own life experience because, girl, I'm not the smartest, you know, I'm not, (laughs) not the smartest kid, but in terms of drive, you will not outwork me. When right. I have a mind that, you know, and talk several times about maybe not having the experience to step into a job. Right. I can tell you, you know, coming out to college, I had like a dozen jobs in three years. Couldn't figure out my place. Right. Right. And I've, I've literally had, once I planted myself, had a career in mortgages. Had no business being in the mortgage industry. <laughs> Looked out a window one day and said, you know, there, there are a lot of people doing really well in a particular right. company. I wanted to do what they did. And I couldn't get a job at that company. And so I went somewhere else and talked. A guy who's still my mentor to this day to teach me what he knew at the top of his game. Wow. And got me to a multi-six-figure income at like 25. Wow. Left that. I went into finance. I had no business doing finance. Grew up multi-million dollar fund, right? In a matter of years, which collapsed and we rebuilt. That business is still in existence today. Wow. Came out and got into marketing because I just felt like I should. (laughs) I had no business being in marketing. And I'm now a marketing manager, you know, and podcasting had no business being here. But and I keep I'm sharing this, you know, because at the end of the day, I tell you what, when I sold the finance company, 
mm-hmm. we bought this home that we live in. Kristen oh, was great. pregnant with, at the time, I'd gotten back into mortgages for a short state just to try and pay some bills. Mm-hmm. And I remember about six years ago, Gloria, I was sitting in her car on December 23rd, bawling my eyes out because I didn't make commission that month. Wow. And I'm sitting in the car like, I have no money to contribute to daycare or a mortgage payment or whatever, right? And I was right. just like, you know what? I'd been teaching myself marketing for several years as a passion play because it just interested me. Mm-hmm. And I literally made a decision in that car, sitting in a 2005 Honda Pilot in a parking lot right here in Maryland. Right. And I said, this will never happen to me another Christmas again. Right. And within three weeks, I had a job that I'm now leaving to go somewhere else. Wow. I've been there for wow. five and a half years. Wow. Yeah. You know, but you just have to make up your mind at the end of the day, right? That, yes. As you said, you know, you have one foot in the present, but you have to kind of just take the stand and not make an excuse and not think. I hear too often people say, well, I don't have the experience or I don't right. have. Exactly. Like, you just have to make up your mind. Right. You know, it's a mindset play, right? That you are going to take that step. Like you, whatever it takes, remove the yeah. pride. You know, yeah. go step in that little that store and that computer store and say, hey, you know what? I need this. Right, exactly. To move to my next, you know, right. whatever it is, take that step forward. Right, exactly. Um, that's an amazing, I mean, you've been blessing my soul, girl. This is <laughs> <laughs> Well, God has been blessing me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the struggle continues, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that we're at the top of this mountain top and there's no more valleys, right? Right, exactly, exactly. But I think once you understand that, you know, life is a series of the ebbs and flows and we're going to have valleys, we're going to have peaks and having that ability to step into it, whatever it is, and look at the positive and push ahead. You know, I think you begin to have some of what the Oprah's experience. Because right. I always say, look, Oprah has the same 24 hours we do. Right. Right? Right. And, and she has to put on her pants the same way we do. I mean, like, you right. know, at the end of the day, you just have to get out and right. take that next step. Right. Exactly. Listen, we'll have to start wrapping up here, but... Sure, no problem. Resources-wise, I feel like I could just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No, no, but no, no. Talk to us about some resources. What are some books that we should be adding to our summer queue? One of the books I would recommend is a book called Risking by David Viscott. Risking. And yes, and I want to say two things. Number one, it's a great book for anyone who has a hard time taking risks, which is probably almost everyone. But it's really a book that helps you get more comfortable taking risk in your life. I will say that the book is out of print, but you can usually find it on eBay for five or ten dollars. But it's an excellent book. And the second book, if I may recommend one more, is The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. It's a great book for people who have a hard time making big goals, but also a great book if you have big goals, but sometimes have a hard time believing you can make them happen. Gloria, I want to stop you right here. You told me a story about Dr. George Frazier. Bring me back to that. Share that with me real quick. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Many years ago, when I believe I was working as the legislative aide and I was renting a basement complete with cement floors, yes, unfinished cement floors and spackled walls, I read that Dr. Frazier had come out with a book called Success Runs in Our Race. 
mm-hmm. and I was able to get a copy and I read it. And I think in the book, he actually had his phone number listed and I reached out to him and he took my call, which was very surprising to me. You know, I was still struggling and he took my call and we had a great conversation and he was just extremely, extremely encouraging. So I I find it ironic that you've also interviewed him and, and here I am being interviewed on a podcast that he's been on. Yes, yes. Dr. Frazier was a guest back on our first wealth series on episode 105, I believe, Closing mm-hmm. the Wealth Gap. Powerful episode. Right. Encourage yeah. Place Nation to check that out. Really amazing guy. Straight shooter. We <laughs> 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 heard him talk. We're checking out. Listen, last question for you as we sure. wrap up here. What's one sure. action that our Place Nation should take this week that's going to help them to blaze their trail? Sure. The recommendation I would make, and it's something that I do every morning, I spend an hour on it, but I would recommend doing it for at least 10 minutes. And that is that first thing in the morning, work on strengthening your mindset. Yes. Even if it is just 10 minutes every morning, you might not notice the difference at first, but after a couple of weeks, you will definitely see a difference in how you flow through your day. See and feel. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Yes. Gloria, tell us how we can stay connected to you and we can wrap up for today. Sure, sure. The best way on social media is actually on LinkedIn. You can find me there at Gloria Mitchell. And if you're interested in finding more about the work that I do, you can head over to my website, which is at GloriaMitchell.com. Love it. Gloria, you've blessed my soul. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a blessing. Part of our community. I know you're part of the family. So (laughs) thank you. Absolutely. Keep connected. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm Steve Nehart, and you've been listening to the Trailblazers.fm podcast. If you're not yet doing so, consider following Trailblazers.fm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and feel free to connect with me over on LinkedIn. Whenever you're posting stories or social media posts about Trailblazers.fm, be sure to use the hashtag TBPod and hashtag MissionFuel. We'll be able to see you, and I'll be able to show some love. And in case you're not aware, our show notes for all our episodes can be found on our website over at tbpod.com. Now, if today was your first time listening, I just want to say big ups, enough respect for checking us out. You've made this Jamaican guy really happy that you're here with us today. And I'd love your help with keeping this black excellence flowing each and every week. So if you haven't yet subscribed, hop on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search trailblazers.fm and subscribe, rate, and review us there. Be sure to browse through some of our past episodes. There are more than 150 published episodes now, and a little something is out there for everyone to help keep the knowledge flowing. We grow when you, as part of our Blazer Nation community, shares and invites your friends and family to listen to an episode you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories are going to be moved to make significant changes that have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern. Blazer Nation, go out today and find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail.